Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Mary Beth Franklin, welcome back to the Retire Sooner podcast. It's 20... 24, and we all have questions about Social Security. I got an email the very first day of 2024. It was that day, and I got an email from Social Security Administration. It was the, I thought, I I, I, I think almost everything's spam at this point in the world, but it I, I went through it, and I went, and for the first time in a while, got got my new social security statement going through the website, downloading it, et cetera. Do they do that every, the first day of every year? Or was that just a coincidence? Question, is your birthday in March? God, you are so good. Yes, it is. Usually they send you an announcement three months before your birthday month. Mm, only, I and mean, that's like a, that that's not one, that's not social security 101. That's social security, like that's graduate level social security. The fact that you would know that. So I could be making money reading tarot cards and convincing you I know all the answers, right? <laughs> the which leads me to this. So you have this is big this is big news. You have would you say you retired from investment news or are you just taking a break from writing for them or what's the where are you? Well, I officially retired from writing for investment news on December 31st, 2023. So I was wrapping up 12 years as a columnist for them. But I will continue being on the speaking circuit at uh, financial conferences and doing client events for financial advisors. And people can still find me at my own website, which is marybethfranklin.com. Now, warning, since I'm not a big corporation, I'm a sole proprietor with a great design team. Every once in a while, I get people saying, I can't access your website on my laptop, malware or something. Do it from your phone. You'll get right through. So you are, are you for hire? I mean, could the, the Retire Sooner team recruit you and so that you're the full-time Social Security expert? We, we could discuss a consultancy relationship. <laughs> I, I well, try not to be exclusive because I have a lot of retainer deals with other firms. I, I know, and I the but we're just happy that you come on and, and explain what is such an important thing yet so confusing and confounding for so many Americans. And today's going to be a really good refresher for everyone listening here on the Retire Sooner podcast. The question around Social Security, and I just did a, I was doing a planning session with a someone who's a teacher in the state of Georgia. They put in a lot of years. They they've, they're going to get to their thirty years soon. So we were looking at are they a teacher that is is 
is going to be impacted by their pension or not. In this case, fortunately, this teacher has also paid into Social Security, so should be fine when it comes to getting the Social Security, but could have some government pension offset, I believe, if it if it comes to having her spouse. But we're, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Why don't we start with this? So, so the essence of today's show is to speak with a, a foremost expert on Social Security. We all want to know how to maximize it. If you're single, you want to maximize it. If you're a couple, you have to be a little more strategic to think about maximizing it. There's all sorts of things that go into the decision of when to flip the switch with Social Security. And I think we maybe the, the two things I want to start with is Social Security going to be here? Because when you're doing planning, and even if this is for high net worth families that have a million, two million, three million dollars, five million dollars, as much as Social Security as an amount, it's poo-pooed for two reasons that I see. One, oh, it's not that much, so I'm not going to count on it. And two, it's not really going to be there, so I'm not going to count on it. However, if you're if you're facing the facts, if you start to look at Social Security planning, the numbers can be pretty big, meaning yeah, three, four thousand dollars a month for for one spouse, and two, three, four for another spouse. I mean, it's this that's big money. If you're thinking about a couple, can be three, four, five, six thousand dollars in a month every month, adjusted for inflation for the rest of your life. It's not something to 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 dismiss is my, is my point. So let's start with, and, and I think about the, the update, the one, another change I, I noticed Mary Beth is on the social security statement that I downloaded in the section, uh, I think it's called, it's going to be here or there for me section is social security going to be there for me. I remember it being, they essentially said you should get eight eighty $80 for every hundred bucks you're promised, which Seemed like a little, even if the the trust fund quote runs out in 2034, which seems like a little bit of an improvement. I remember it saying 70 or 75 cents on the dollar. We're, is Social Security going to be there for us? Well, let's start with the big picture. Um, yes, I firmly believe Social Security will be there for current and future retirees. Will there be some changes? Probably. Will it affect everybody? Not sure about that. If you look historically, Congress very seldom cuts benefits for existing or near retirees who have baked these numbers into their retirement income plans. Congress tends to make changes that take effect in the future. For example, maybe if you're 50 years old as opposed to 65 years old, Maybe there may be some change in your benefit when you get to your full retirement age. I think what we'll see is a combination of maybe Social Security payroll taxes will increase, either the percentage rate that both employees and employees pay, um, perhaps the, the maximum amount of wages that can be taxed. That could change the taxable wage they base. Keep, push, they keep pushing that higher. Right. Uh, and let me explain a little history of how Social Security is funded and where the challenges are right now. Basically, every one of us, about 95% of American workers, pay into Social Security. They pay 7.65% of their wages 
uh, into Social Security. The majority of that is funding Social Security. A little piece of that is funding Medicare. And then their employer matches that contribution. That's your payroll tax. But Up to you about how much? Because that number keeps right going now, up and up and up and up every year. Right. That taxable wage maximum goes up each year with inflation. And for 2024, it's $168,600. Now, that's compared to the previous year of $160,200. So an increase of more than $8,000. That means most people are going to be paying the same amount of FICA taxes at, as last year unless their income is like 160000 or over. Now they're going to be paying FICA taxes on more of their income than they did last year. But say you make $500,000 a year. You are only paying those payroll taxes up to the taxable maximum, $168,600. So this is one of the big challenges. When Social Security went through its last major reform in 1983, and when Social Security was truly in danger of not being able to pay full benefits for the first time, the congressional uh, members tweaked the taxes, the FICA taxes, and they said back then, as long as 90% of U.S. wages were being taxed for FICA payroll taxes, Social Security will never run out of money. The mm. problem is so many people make so much more than that taxable wage base amount. Now, say you're making 170000 plus, you are not paying FICA taxes on those excess wages. As a result of this great income inequality now, we are only taxing about 83% of total U.S. wages. So it wasn't, so again, this was back in what year? Did they 1983, this? the last time there was major reform. So in 83, it was, their assumption was a little off. They thought they were, they're getting to 90% of income. They're really only getting to 83 is your point. They were at 90 back then. But the difference is wages, salaries, wages have increased so much in those past 40 years that, and the taxable wage base has not caught up with it. So, so many people, a chunk of really wealthy wage earners are not paying taxes on those excess earnings. So that's taxes that is not funding Social Security. If we let that flow back up, you would probably be taxed on your first $250,000 of wages mm. as opposed to $168,000. So right there, so it wasn't necessarily a miscalculation in, I always think of the the discalculation. Or tables. The, yeah, the actuarial issue is on on longevity. It, it's not necessary. It's not a longevity progression that has made the social security trust fund in it start to run low. Now is it, however, it was relative to when we started, it wasn't there originally kind of miscalculating longevity. And now you're saying they miscalculated income a little bit. I don't think they miscalculated. I think two things happened over the last 40 years, Silicon Valley and hedge funds. No one expected so many people would be making so much money that wasn't being taxed. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. The So if you think about this reservoir of money that is the Social Security Trust Fund, when you read your statement and it, it clearly is trying to address the worry that so many Americans have that it just, quote, won't be there, 
when they say it could run down to z- the zero, meaning the reservoir of money, it by the year 2034, I believe it says, that's when the system, again, if nothing changes, if they were 100 miles an hour into a brick wall, goes away. The reason we would still have 80 cents on the dollar of what your, quote, promised paycheck would be per month is because of why? Because of the ongoing payroll taxes. There would be enough money coming in from everybody paying their payroll taxes to fund about 80% of promised benefits. Again, let me give a little history lesson here. Back in 1983, when Social Security was in danger of not being able to pay full benefits for the first time, um, that bipartisan commission on Social Security run by a guy who, at the time, most people had never heard of, Alan Greenspan. Long before he was chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, he chaired this bipartisan commission on Social Security. And the Greenspan Commission did a lot of really smart, forward-looking things. One of the things they said is, wow, in 1983, looking ahead to the retirement of the massive baby boom generation, let's raise taxes, payroll taxes now, and bring in more money than we need now and stockpile that excess money in what we've come to know as the trust funds. So from about 1983 to about uh, 2010, we were collecting extra FICA tax revenues and stockpiling it. We didn't need it. So it was growing. That tr- The reservoir was growing. Growing to like $3 trillion growing. And that reservoir, the trust fund, was also earning interest on that money. When we get to 2010, two things happened. It was the beginning, the first wave of baby boomers started to retire, which meant they're not working, they're not paying FICA taxes, their employer's not paying FICA taxes. And we had the Great Recession. A lot of people lost their jobs. You lose your jobs, you're not paying FICA taxes, your employer's not paying FICA taxes. So for the first time, the ongoing FICA tax revenues were not sufficient to pay all promised benefits. So that's when we started tapping the interest that the trust fund had earned. And that worked for another 11 years. When we got to 2021, now we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. A lot of people aren't working and a lot more baby boomers have retired and started pulling money out of the system. So for the first time, FICA tax revenue, interest on the trust fund, not enough to pay all promised benefits. 2021 is the first time we started tapping the actual trust funds. We are drawing down those reserves to help pay benefits. If Congress does nothing between now and approximately 2034, that that date changes from time to time, the trust funds, the excess tax revenues will run out, but there would still be enough money from ongoing FICA payroll tax revenues to pay about 80% of promised benefits. Now, I don't foresee that happening. Social Security mm-hmm. is the most popular, most successful federal program in history. And Americans, regardless of their income, really care about it. Does Congress really want to tick off 70 million voters by saying, I'm going to cut your benefits? I don't think so. But the sooner they act, the less drastic the changes will have to be. Marymeth, is there a... We went through this period of time with very low interest rates. So it was government debt was yielding very little. 
Does, is that a big part of this calculation on how much the trust fund is earning or are they not necessarily forecasting a, a, a certain investment rate of return on that pile of money? Under current law, the Social Security trust fund revenues can only be issued in um, special issue government bonds that nobody else can get access to. And mm. it pays a pretty low, I think it's like 2.1% or whatever. So mm, one of the potential reforms would be, can we take some of that trust fund money and invest it for higher returns? It would literally take an act of Congress to change how that money is invested. And of course, it's supposed to be there for the rest of your life, no matter how long you live, and it's cost of living adjustment. So they really don't want to take chances with these funds. But the argument could be made, well, look over the past few decades, how much more the trust fund could have earned if at least a portion of it may have been invested for a higher return. Now, not only treasuries with higher rates today, but God forbid stocks. What's interesting, if you think about, and this is maybe, an, this is a whole other conversation, but if you really look at investing in bonds versus investing in stocks versus a combination really over time, the combination has actually been really one of the, one of the most efficient ways to not run out of money and still be able to ha keep up with inflation. But that's a whole other episode. I think we call that the 4% plus rule episode. <laughs> the, and, uh, and just all right, one, so, one yeah. other comment on this. Now, social security is massive. It sends benefits to 70 million people every year. It, it's paying out um, a trillion dollars a year in benefits. It has more than 60,000 employees nationwide. And yet it is so incredibly efficient as far as the money that funds the system and the money that goes out to pay. It really, it is pretty amazing what they do when you think mm -hmm. that virtually every American 18 and older has a social security number. They've got to keep track of that. They're paying out benefits. They're paying retirement and disability and survivor benefits and benefits to dependents. So it's really a, a crucial system that is pretty cost effective. But it it just needs um it's going to need probably new infusions of income because the longer this problem goes unaddressed. I worry that the typical fixes of let's raise taxes a bit, let's tweak the benefits a bit, aren't going to be enough in a in a short term. So you do hear some people talking about maybe Social Security needs a at least temporary transfer of revenues from general tax funds to Social Security. Now, that has never been done before. Social Security's funds have always been earmarked to pay Social Security benefits. So it was a self-funding program. The question is, if you start using general tax revenues, even if it's just for one generation to get us over a demographic hump, now you're subject to annual congressional funding and all of the uh, craziness that haps on, happens on Capitol Hill. Now, that sounds like a total nightmare. And Americans know that once there's something new that takes money out of their pocket and it's supposed to be, quote, temporary, it almost never ends. So that, that's going to be a hard one to get through Congress. Now, let's, so in summation, if you're 30 listening to the Retire Sooner podcast, the statement you get today may look a little different in the future if, if something doesn't change. If you're 60 today 
and your promised benefit is at 62 is $2,000 a month. Very unlikely that's going to change over the course of your lifetime, at least. So, so I look at this as at a, on a scale of eight to 10, social security, maybe it's not a 10, but it, it really is in, in a seven to a nine on that scale. Yeah. I think it's the, pretty secure if you're currently receiving social security or you're near to receiving social security. I just arbitrarily pick about 55. I think if you have clients or you individually are 55 or younger and you have a retirement income plan, I'd say, okay, now let's stress test it. What would happen if my projected social security benefits, not my entire retirement income, but just the social security portion was reduced by 25%? 20, could, yeah. Could yeah. you still survive? Or do you need to start doing things now like saving more in your retirement account or thinking about working a few years longer or thinking about eventually uh, relocating to a lower cost area. I mean, you can't just close your eyes. You can't put your head in the sand and say it's going to go away. Think about what would plan B be if you had to. Thinking about retirement in 2024? Well, you're not alone, and I've got just the thing to help guide you on your journey. What the happiest retirees know. My most recent book that shares the 10 habits of the happiest retirees. Meant to help you land at a place where work becomes optional. For a limited time, get 25% off at westmossbooks.com. Simply use the promo code OURTREAT, all one word, at checkout. That's westmossbooks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's go with this. I also think that here we are in a new year and a fair amount of f- relatively confusing rules have the window on those has, has closed, making Social Security a little bit more straightforward. I really want to talk about how we can think through getting the most out of it, maximizing it. But let's start with what is what are some of the, I, I used to call this the the spousal switcheroo or the, spouse saves you where you could suspend, you could take a suspended benefit, take half of your spouses, then jump to a higher level over time. That All of that, I don't know what you call that or what your terminology is for that, but that is most, that's just the window for that is gone at this point. Effectively, right? yes. Um, up until about 2016, from about 2000 to 2016, there were opportunities, particularly for married couples or in some cases, divorced spouses who had been married at least 10 years to get a little clever with their claiming strategies. Once upon a time, when someone reached their full retirement age, they could file for benefits for the purpose of triggering a benefit for their spouse. And then that same worker could suspend their benefits. So they wouldn't get their own benefit, but the spouse would and their own benefit. The file and suspend. Yeah. Right. So that disappeared in 2016. So take that out of your head. Um, For a while, there was another opportunity for people who were born before 1954 
And I always stress that because I was born in 1954, so I couldn't do it. Uh, but it said that if one spouse claimed a benefit, then the other who was born before 1954 could say to Social Security, pay me only as a spouse. In other words, give me half of my husband or wife's full retirement age benefit while mine continues to grow up until age 70, and then I will switch to my maximum benefit. The last people who could take advantage of what I called a um, restricted application for spousal benefits, those last eligible people turned 70 in 2023. So effectively, this has gone away because your maximum Social Security benefit is achieved at age 70. So there's really no point to delaying benefits beyond that. So now and, we start. And you, and you called it, and Mary Beth, you called it kind of this clever strategy. It wasn't that it, that was the perfect solution for everybody, right? It didn't necessarily, wasn't the right thing for everyone, but it was a, it was a potential option for people that in some cases might've worked. Well, yeah, let me give you an example of my husband and I, as I mentioned, I was born in 1954, so I couldn't do anything, but my husband is two years older. He was born in 1952. So when I reached my full retirement age of 66 a few years ago, I actually filed for my Social Security benefits for two reasons. One, once I reached my full retirement age, I would get that full benefit that I was promised, even if I continued to work, which of course I was, because any earnings restrictions go away once you reach your full retirement age. And because my husband was older than I, once I claimed my Social Security, he then filed a restricted claim for spousal benefits, collected the equivalent of half of my full retirement age benefits for two years until he turned 70, and then he switched to his maximum benefit. Now, as a married couple, his benefit is now bigger than mine because he waited till 70. He's also two years older. If he happens to die first, his benefit is bigger- I can then step up to a larger survivor benefit and then my smaller retirement will go away. Now, all that was great for the people who could take advantage of it, but essentially the fancy claiming strategies died at the end of 2023, except Social Security retirement benefits and Social Security survivor benefits remain two separate pots of money. And if you are entitled to both, because you have your own retirement benefit and you are surviving spouse or ex-spouse, you may still be able to claim one type of benefit first and switch to a larger benefit later. And we can talk about that in a little more details because survivor benefits are worth the maximum amount at your full retirement age. Your retirement benefits continue to grow up until age 70. And and going back to that example, the 19, you and your husband, he chose to take, let's say it, he was 68, and instead of taking his own social, he took half of yours, uh, The and then he did it again the next year, and then he switched to age 70. For some people, let's say, they taking only half of yours versus taking the full amount that he would have gotten at, let's say, 68 that's also a decision that people have to make too. So it's not a it's not a guarantee that strategy was better or particular for some families that may have needed higher income at the time. Is that exactly? The way it's you all look about at it? cash flow. And frankly, for people who have the luxury of waiting, 
Um, Mm -hmm. It was better in our case for him to take half of my benefit and then to wait for his bigger benefit later. Which which brings me to and and again you wrote a whole book about this, uh, which is you know your your book is maxim maximizing your social security retirement benefits. It's it's right, it's, right. it's exactly actually what, now it's called maximizing it's social security benefits. You can just go to maximizingsocialsecuritybenefits.com to buy a copy of my ebook. Well, so that's where we want to start. Is really the theme of your ebook is maximizing for for folks, and I want to help people think through this. Because the, obviously the next big question is time because we, we and, and social security now I think does a better job than they have in the past of showing a chart. It's a, it's a sideways bar chart that says, Hey, you can take you know, two grand if you're 62, or you could take 7% higher than that. If you wait till you're 63 and another seven and a quarter percent, if you wait till 64. So it shows you the, the amounts if you delay and delay, but then you're also forgoing that money for that period of time. And so you're betting on a little longevity. How long does it take me to make up for the year I waited or the two years, the th- the four or five years or, or up to what, eight years, right? We could take social at 62 or we could delay all the way to age 70. And there's not a perfect answer there, but let's, let's talk that through. So let's start with just a simple, um, I, let's say I'm, I'm single, I'm approaching 62. I'm thinking about social security. I, should I take, and I did the math on this, 2000 today or at 62, or wait to take the 2840, $2,840 tomorrow or in five years, in, which, which by the way, I calculated that as about an 11.9 year break even. How do you think that through? Well, for the single people, uh, it's pretty straightforward because- your social security benefit is based on three factors, your average lifetime earnings, which, you know, they take your top highest 35 years, um, the age when you claim benefits. And the big question is, are you still working? So my number one rule is because a lot Mm. of people don't understand this. If you continue to have earnings from a job or self-employment, and you claim Social Security before your full retirement age, you are going to at least temporarily lose some or possibly all of your Social Security benefits because there's this earnings cap. And this year, if you make more than about $22,000 a year, Social Security is going to start taking away some benefits, a dollar in benefits for every two over that limit. So to say you make about $60,000 a year or more, don't do it. Just don't claim Social Security. You will you will not get any benefits. So, However, however Mary Beth, is there a provision where you then, Social Security will, will add back what you actuarially, but they do it over your lifetime, what you were penalized on? If you- Is there an claim, add back? Let, let, yeah. Is there an add back? If you claim benefits before your full retirement age and you continue to work and you lose some benefits due to excess earnings. Okay. So let's say roughly the earnings cap is $22,000 this year and you make 42,000. That's 20 over the limit. And they're going to withhold a dollar in benefits for every two over the limit. So they're going to hold back $10,000 and they're going to do it all up front. So let's say you were supposed to get $2,000 a month in benefits, they are going to withhold the first five months. 
So they hold on to all those $10,000 before they start paying you benefits. Now, once you get to your full retirement age, they're going to look at your earnings record and say, hey, uh, John, I see that you claim benefits early at 62. That was five years before your full retirement age is 67. And you took a 30% haircut up front because you claimed early. And in addition, we withheld $10,000 a year over those five years because you made too much money. We will readjust your benefits now that you reach full retirement age to reflect the money that you lost due to the excess earnings, but not mm -hmm. the money you lost because you claim early, just the money that you gave up due to excess earnings. So yes, in a sense, you could claim benefits early. You could lose some to the earnings cap. Those benefits would be restored. But, but it takes a, a long time to get them back. It's an accounting nightmare because let's say yeah. you, you claim benefits early and Social Security is going to say, hey, do you plan to keep working? You figure, I won't say anything. They'll never notice. Well, they do match your records to your tax records. And it may <laughs> take several years, but then they might send you a letter that said, oops, look like we overpaid you $30,000. We'd like that back right now at a lump sum. You really yeah. don't want to get into that situation. So avoid it in the first place. If you plan to keep working, don't claim benefits early unless, see, you're working part-time. You're driving for Uber and you're making $20,000 a year. That's less than the annual earnings cap. Okay, you so go ahead and do it. Yeah, reduce benefits and not lose any because you're not making too much. You look at your Social Security statement. Let's say you're in your 40s. I'm, I'm still hanging on my 40s. And you, it says, you know, my full retirement age is 66. And it, and it gives me my number that it's expected to pay. I think the question a lot of folks have, particularly the younger you are, is that there's a line in there that says, provided you continue to pay in and, and earn a similar amount of money. Is that extremely relevant or not as relevant because... By the time you're in your 40s, usually you've gotten your 40 quarters. You've already qualified. But how does that work? Again, your Social Security benefits are first yet to be eligible. And you do that by working for essentially at least 10 years, getting the maximum four credits per year to get the full quor 40 quarters you need, 40 credits, to be eligible for a future Social Security benefit. But that doesn't tell you how much you're going to get. One, it depends on what are your average lifetime earnings. And they look at your top 35 years of earnings. Maybe you worked 40 oh, years. Top 35, okay. Right, yeah. they're going to drop out the bottom five. If you work in the years you were delivering newspapers, remember those? Or flipping burgers. Uh, so they're going to take your top 35 years and average that out using a formula to calculate your average index monthly earnings. And then they apply a benefits formula to that. Uh, but say you stayed home and took care of your kids and you only worked mm -hmm. 20 years. They're still going to divide by 35. 15 of those years are going to be zeros. So when mm. they divide by 35, your average lifetime earnings are going to look lower and consequently your benefits are going to be lower. But the advantage is any year that you continue to work, regardless of your age, regardless of whether you're already receiving benefits, that adds to your work history. And if it boosts the formula, 
then your benefits will automatically increase in the future. I can say that has happened to me over the last few years, even though I'm beyond full retirement age, because my recent earnings had been higher than one of the years due in the original 35 years calculation, my benefits automatically increase each year, not just due to the cost of living adjustments, but due to the fact that my average lifetime earnings have increased. No kidding. Now that I did not know. Wow. So that's amazing. So you, and usually what do we call you'll, that? You'll get a notice usually around October that says, based on your recent earnings, we now owe you an extra you know, $25 a month. And, and we're going to give you a lump sum for $360 for the first nine months or whatever. And going forward, we'll add that extra 25 bucks a month. So you don't have to do anything. It's automatic. Even if you claim at 66 and your average earnings is a hundred grand, and then you work another four years and you make a, a bunch of money and now your average earnings is 105,000. It, they will adjust it higher, even though you're already, you've already left the gates, if you will. Right. And here's another thing to keep That's in That's really mind. cool. I did not know that. We talked about the maximum taxable wage price in this year, 2024, it's 168600 If I make that amount or less, I'm paying taxes on every dollar I earn. If I make more than that, I'm not paying taxes on the excess oh, amount. Oh, okay. You're right. It doesn't, so yeah. your benefits are based on how much you earned up to the taxable wage base each year. And remember, way back when, that was a lot lower. It might have been 28000 It might have been 40000 So it was how much you earned and paid taxes on up to the taxable wage base each year. So really going from 100 or making 80 to making 160 could could move the meter. Going from 150 to a million barely does anything. Right. And the other thing to keep in mind is um, the closer you are to retirement age, the more accurate that Social Security estimated benefit is going mm. to be because they have more years of data to calculate. Yeah. So let's say um, let's say I'm going to stop working at 64, but I'm not going to claim my benefits till 67. I'm not working those last three years. It's probably not going to have a huge impact on my eventual benefit. But if I desire, I am part of the FIRE movement and I am going to retire at 45 and my estimated benefit statements, assuming I'm making my current earnings through age 67, my future benefits going to look a lot different. So really that line, which is, hey, assuming you keep working, that matters. That matters, right. particularly when you're young. So your advice here is that, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment of only work part-time up to age 66 and claim social security if it's under the cap, under, let's say, 20 grand a year. But if you're still working, typically it's not a great idea to claim social security until you've hit 66. So my question then is beyond that, what about just the, the, the time? I mean, if you're done working, you're a teacher, you hit your 30 years at 55, you work part-time to seven, seven more years, you get 62, and you're, you're done. You're not going to be working much or uh, anymore. Then that's a hard, I think that's harder for folks to wrap their, their head around. Like, okay, I can take this two grand now every month, or I can wait five more years, which is two grand times 12 is 24,000 times five years is call that a hundred and some grand. 
but then I'm going to make it back by $840 a month. How long does it take? It takes 12 years. What, how do you think, is it just the math is what it is or your health? What, how do you think through that time recoup? I think it's a very individual situation based on your health because social security benefits are actuarially fair. In other words, if I take reduced benefits as early as possible at age 62, if I take my full benefits, let's say you're born in 1960 or later, your full retirement age is 67, or um, I wait till 70. And the difference between claiming reduced benefits at 62, I'm going to take a 30% haircut in, immediately. So in, I'll get 70% of my promised benefits at 62. I'll get a 100% of my benefits at 67, or I'll get 124% of my benefits if I wait till 70. The difference between claiming as soon as possible at 62 versus as late as possible at 70 increases my monthly benefits by 76% for the rest of my life if I can afford to wait. Now let's start if with I single- If I can afford to wait, yep. If I can afford to wait because- if, I if I'm single and I died before claiming, nobody gets my benefits. I don't have a survivor. It goes back in the pot. So for single people, and I would define that as people who had never been married or people who were married fewer than 10 years before they divorced, because in Social Security eyes, you're single. I would say, I get to 62. Definitely don't claim if you're still working. It just doesn't make sense. Now the question is, I get to my full retirement age. Yes, I could claim full benefits, and that might make sense in my personal situation. And frankly, I'm worried I'm going to get hit by a bus before I claim benefits, so I'm going to take it now. And maybe I didn't even need the money. I, I could bank it, and if nothing else, it's going to help pay for my Medicare premiums that are deducted from my Social Security check. I think that works well for many single people. When you get to married people, many of them have the luxury that they can hedge their bets. And I usually say, have the higher earner, which is traditionally the husband, but is gender neutral, wait till 70 if possible. He's got the bigger benefit. Um, he's probably a couple years older in, in the typical American couple. Uh, he's probably going to die first. So by waiting until age 70 to collect the biggest retirement benefit possible while both spouses are alive. And if he dies first, his widow would step up to his full benefit as her survivor benefit, assuming she is at least full retirement age when she's widowed. Now, we just decided he's going to wait till 70. In the meantime, if that wife who has her own retirement benefit Maybe she's not working. She's 62. You know what? Go ahead and claim those reduced retirement benefits early. Bring some cash flow into the house. Helps offset some of your other costs. Because if he dies first, which is likely, even though she collected reduced retirement benefits early and her retirement benefits will be reduced for the rest of her life. Of her it, life? has no impact on her survivor benefit. If she is at least full retirement age, when she switches to a survivor benefit, she still gets 100% of what he was collecting 
even those extra delayed retirement credits because he waited till 70. So that's a great way for married couples to hedge their bets. And if you had been married at least 10 years before divorcing, you might be able to do the same thing because you are an eligible divorce spouse. Now, when you claim retirement benefits, you're probably just collecting on your own record because you only get a benefit as a spouse if that's larger than your own retirement benefits, which in many cases it's not. How does it work for two divorces? Can you choose which ex-husband or ex-wife social you would, or as, is it the most as recent? As long as you were married at least 10 years before divorcing, and in the case of when you're both alive, if you're single, you can collect on your ex's earnings record if it's larger than your retirement benefit. And if you were married twice for at least 10 years before divorcing, you can claim on the higher of the two. So you think of it this way. The better um, X. There must be at least a decade between I do and I don't. If your marriage is falling apart in years eight and nine, string out the paperwork. Because the only dates that matter are the date you're married and the date of your final divorce decree. Now, <laughs> there are more than 2,700 rules that govern your Social Security benefits. And there's a lot of exceptions and a lot of the exceptions have to do with divorce. So here's another one. Basic rule is I must be married at least 10 years before di divorcing. I must be currently single to be able to collect on my ex's earning record if that benefit as a spouse, half of his amount, is bigger than my own retirement benefit would be. And although currently married couples can't do this, I can actually collect on my ex even if he has not yet collected, because I am an independently entitled divorce spouse. And I've, I've got to be single to do all this stuff. But if I wait till age 60 or remarry, to remarry, and my ex dies, I can collect survivor benefits on my ex, even if I'm married to somebody else at the time. So those are the two rules. There must be at least a decade between I do and I don't. And if you're going to take a second trip down the aisle, wait till 60 to do it. <laughs> okay. 2,700. That's it? The, the more than 2,700 rules. I call this the Wally and Pat rule. Uh, and really just named after two friends of mine that were shocked at the fact that they, after they were 70, because they're still working, they were they, even in their 70s, let's say. Because they had ki teenage kids, they started getting checks because of their teenage children. Again, it's not as common to have a 12-year-old when you're 70, but it certainly happens. What do we call that rule? And maybe explain that for folks that are that have younger kids, but they are in Social Security age. Well, actually, it happens more than you would think. Um, I used to call this the Viagra College Fund rule. <laughs> Because I saw so many older men remarrying for a second time and having a new second younger family. And it was not that unusual to have a 66-year-old dad with two-year-old twins. And that yeah. really affects your claiming strategy. Because once the parent claims Social Security, if you have minor dependent children in your household defined as 18 or younger, 
or if they're still in high school up until age 19, well, they each will get a dependent benefit. A dependent benefit is worth 50% of the parent's full retirement age benefit amount, regardless of when the parent claims. So in that case, if, for example, dad retired at 62, I would have said claim Social Security at 62 to trigger benefits for those two-year-old twins because their benefits will end when they turn 18. And don't you want them to get as many years as possible? Um, same thing. Maybe mom's not working. But it doesn't she, go up. So it doesn't go up with you waiting for your larger payment no, as the parent. No, it's 50% of the parent's full retirement age benefit, regardless of when the parent could claim it's 62, 66, 70. But the kids will still get a flat 50% of that parent's full retirement age benefit. So in that sense, the sooner you claim, the better, because your kids will get a dependent benefit for a longer period of time. But again, the key is if you are still working, your benefits and those of your dependents are subject to the earnings restrictions. So it probably doesn't make sense if you're still working. It's going to wipe out all those benefits. But if you're not making a lot oh, of even, money- oh, Even for your your- they're, they're not, they, they would be your- They're dependents. Um, dependent right, right. payments. Got Again, it. Oh, they can get wiped out too. Right, because you would just look at the total amount of benefits that are coming into the family. And then uh, they're going to take away a dollar in benefits for every two over the earnings limit. Uh, this year, it's roughly $22,000 a year. It could feasibly wipe out all those benefits. Okay, but that, so that, in that, that case, if dad is full retirement age and still working, go ahead and claim because earnings restrictions go away at full retirement age and it would not affect his benefits or the kids. So almost almost certainly you'd want to do that at 66. That makes sense. Okay. Right. And if, you've, if you've got who, kids under age seven, uh, under who, age who is eligible? It's your biological child. It's your adopted child. It's your stepchild. And in rare cases, your grandchild, if the child's parents is deceased or disabled and that child is living with you and is a tax dependent. So there are some cases where grandchildren can get this benefit. I remember reading some of the genesis of this Viagra college fund rule. Did that have something to do with kind of post-war America in the, in the 40s? Was it something well, to do with the that? The whole idea was when a family, let's back up. Social Security was created in 1935. The typical American family looked a lot different. You had one breadwinner, usually the dad, usually the stay-at-home mom, and a whole lot of kids. And not a big retirement system in place. So the idea was when a family lost the wage earner, either due to death, retirement, or disability, Social Security created some replacement income. That was the point of it. But this one is for somebody who's living. Right. Technically retired. So the idea is retiring, losing that ongoing wages, and you're still supporting a family. So that's why a dependent under that description would be entitled to a benefit until they got through high school. Now, if, makes if that yeah. parent died and you still have minor dependent children in your household, they're now entitled to a survivor benefit. And the survivor benefit is 75% of the parent's benefit and would continue until the child turned 18. Or in the case, if you have a 
permanently disabled adult child who was disabled before they turned 22, those children get dependent benefits while their parents are alive, survivor benefits after the parent dies, and those benefits last for the rest of the child's life. Oh, I know why you're calling this a Viagra College Fund. If you do the math, if you have a, a child at 66 and your your social's 3000, they're getting 1500 bucks a month for 18 years. And that's over But that had a 529 plan and you just paid for Harvard. Wow. That's why. I got it. I love <laughs> I've never heard it called that. It's a great it's very easy to remember. Apparently, I messed up a lot of people's uh, spam filters that they were not able to access my website once I said something about the Viagra College Fund. Oh, wait. <laughs> it, it was right. Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, anything coming from Mary Beth Franklin because it had. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about COLA. Let's talk about cost of living. Inflation, major issue in the United States. A major issue for retirees. I think it's like as an investor, it's kind of this perennial uh, issue that we're solving for. We've got to outpace inflation. We've got to protect our purchasing power. It lay dormant, though, for many years. It, it was almost as though this it's Godzilla inflation, if it were Godzilla, it's, it's roaming the earth. We're all worried about it. We're all fighting against it. And then Godzilla got frozen in a glacier for about a decade. So it was gone. Oh, well, where's, there's no there's no Godzilla. And then we had the tidal wave of money from the pandemic and melted the iceberg and Godzilla roams the earth again. Target number one for retirees, inflation. Last year, the COLA was 8%. The cost of living adjustment was huge. It was like eight, eight, over 8%. This year, I think it's 3.2. The question I have will be, does that, first of all, that shows up right away in the, in the new year on the very first check, January? Yes, you're correct. This year, 2024, um, the cost of living adjustment was 3.2%. And while that's less than half of the previous year's COLA, which was 8.7%. That was the largest increase in more than 40 years. 8.7, yeah. Um, the One of the great value of Social Security is not only does it last the rest of your life, but it is cost of living adjusted. So any year that there is inflation as measured um, by a specific Social Security formula, uh, then your, your benefit check will automatically go up starting that following January. So with your first check in January, you will get that 3.2% increase. Now, a lot of people think, oh, this is political. They're manipulating the numbers. No, they're not. It's a very straightforward calculation. They look at the average consumer price index for the third quarter of the previous year compared to the third quarter of the current year. And if it increases, that's the amount that the the benefits will increase the following year. You know, a lot of financial planning software will ask you to input almost all financial planning long range. will look at inflation rate. Of course, that's kind of variable. One of the biggest variables you can solve for, but then there's a typically another column that'll say, are you increasing X, Y, Z income stream for inflation, or is it going to stay flat? Are you going to increase your Social Security for inflation at 100% or is it going to be only half of that? Has there ever been an issue or a time when Social said, ah, we're only going to give you partial COLA increase? There was, um, and prior to 1975, there was no automatic cost of living adjustment. It had to hmm. be legislated every year by Congress. And even then, that was a very tricky vote. 
Um, it, it became automatic in 75 and this, this formula was created the third quarter average of the CPI one year over the other, and that would create the cost of living adjustment. There's been three or four times over the past 20 some years where there was no measurable inflation and consequently there was no cost of living adjustment. When you look back over the past 20 years, the average cost of living adjustment was about two and a half percent. And I think that's a fairly safe number projecting forward that um, if I'm using X amount as my client's estimated Social Security benefit, you could probably inflate that at about two and a half percent and be consistent with the historical average. The bigger issue for retirees tends to be healthcare costs, which tend to inflate at a much higher rate. And I think most advisors would be safe doing it at about five percent a year for healthcare costs. All right. We're going to find uh, Mary Beth Franklin at MaryBethFranklin.com, of course, maximizing Social Security benefits. Com. And every once in a while, right here on the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you, Wes. Happy New Year. And thanks to all your listeners who tuned in. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at wesmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.